0: I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to take a deep breath and hold it for a second and then let it out. I want you to listen to the words of the songs that we've sung, particularly the last one Hold to God's unchanging hand. It is our heart's desire and our prayer to God that we would be those who would hold to his hand, that we believe that there is a precious book divine, and that it is sweeter than all in the life that we live. Times are troublesome. There's a need for us to again put our faith, our trust in God, asking that his will be done that we can work through the difficulties, we can seek God's will in the life that we live. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 118, at verse 22, a verse that we've heard in other contexts, But the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And the short letter to well, the short letter that Jude wrote, verses twenty and twenty-one. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on, the mo- on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, keeping our perspective where it needs to be, It's not always easy. The focus is to be on God. We can sometimes allow personalities, emotions to have a sway in our life. But it is our desire, all of ours, in one way or another, that is that we want to do, do those things that would be pleasing in the eye of God. In the Gospel of John, and in chapter 15, starting at verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life. For his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you. And appointed you that you should go, and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask in the Father's ask the Father in My name, He may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. In this reading, Jesus refers several times to our abiding. Abide in my love. You will abide in my love as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. That phrase, to abide, appears some 100 times in the New Testament and especially here in the Gospel of John, also in the first letter to John. And as you read those words, abide, It signals that something is of importance. And the sheer repetition that Jesus uses here can show us how important it is to Christ. If you keep my commandments, the task that we've all been given, the task that sometimes we struggle with, the keeping of his commandments, the understanding of how he teaches and how it has an impact on our lives and what it is that he's asking of us. But the heart's desire that each one of us is to have and that we do have is wanting to keep the Lord's commandments, understanding the importance of them, understanding why he came, why he gave his life, why he purchased us with his own blood, what he holds in store for us, that we would serve him and be faithful to him, that it applies to us as his people. In this reading, as he speaks about, if you will abide in his love, he's not addressing us as individuals per se. He's addressing us collectively collectively. If you, his people, will keep his commandments, you abide in his love. Just as he kept his father's commandments and abides in his love. That connection, how important is that? How necessary is that? And how do we live that in the life that we live? As human beings who are imperfect, that oftentimes hear things that we don't have the full information on, to abide in his love. That concept of loving one another as I have loved you, Jesus said, it's by this shall the world know that you are my disciples. Loving as he loved us. That willingness to work with, the willingness willingness to give time, the willingness to continue to teach, the willingness to let the Word of God do the guiding and the directing, the willingness to trust Jesus, to trust the Father, to trust the Holy Spirit, that indeed His will is being worked out. The emphasis is on this body of Christ. This is what Jesus came to establish. It was a body. He came to build his body. His called out. Those that would belong to him. Those that would have the understanding of who he is. And a willingness to change their life. To strive to bring it in harmony with the will of God. And the willingness of the Savior. To work with us. It's interesting again as you read through the New Testament. From the Gospels on through. To see of the struggles, the trials and the tribulations. That his disciples had. And trying to learn and to understand. What it was that Jesus was teaching. When he talked about loving one another as he had loved us. Often times when the disciples were by themselves, out of earshot of Jesus, they were not discussing that. They were discussing which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom. They lost the concept of the denial of self. They lost the concept of crucifixion of self, taking up the cross daily and following him. And they've got caught up into who they were and what they were doing. The importance that was placed upon them being called out by Jesus. Being selected by him from all of the other disciples. To be the ones whom he would call apostles. And be the ones that would go forth with that message. And they struggled with that. They continued to struggle with it as they went forth with that message. And then those early disciples struggled with it as well as to who they were and the importance that they had. Paul writing to the Corinthians, particularly again in there in chapter 12, talking about how the members are not separate from each other. And how the members have that, do not have that right or that privilege of saying who is important and who is imp- not important. If they are a body, part of the body of Christ, every member is important. Every member has its place in the body. And God has a purpose for all of that. The Corinthian had forgotten that and needed to be reminded of that. As he would go on into chapter 12 and verses 12 through 27. To remind them of what's involved. And then to talk about that Lord's Supper. To give them that refresher of what Christ has done for us that willingness of how far he was willing to go to establish a unity that would be based on the truth of God's word. That he was willing to endure that suffering in order to bring about that body which would be the church that would be purchased by the blood that Jesus shed upon upon the cross. That it would be part of this kingdom of God. Going back to the prophecy in Daniel 2 and verse 44. A passage that is discussed by many in the religious world today. Trying to understand or understanding what the passage says. Of understanding the, the truth of what Daniel was revealing. That in the days of these kings. And as Daniel was talking there was no Misunderstanding. As to which kingdom he had reference to, That it was the Roman Empire. That in the days of these kings, God would establish a kingdom that would never be destroyed. This is what God wants us to be a part of. His body that will never be destroyed. We live in a physical world where kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Again, Daniel talked about that in Daniel 2. It's God who brings that about. But they rise and they fall. They come and they go. But this kingdom that God would establish would be eternal. And that it would withstand even the gates of hell. Would not be able to prevail against it. That they struggle with what to do with this truth of God's word. Failing to realize that God did indeed establish the church which is the kingdom of God. Paul would remind us in Colossians one thirteen that we have been translated into the kingdom of his dearly beloved son. Have been. That's what has already taken place. That we're his. We're his subjects. He's the king. and We're the servants. Ours is to do the will of the father. Ours is to strive to do the will of the father with a heart that is tender. That is touched by the lives of each one of us, but more than that, that is touched by the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, who makes this all possible. To abide means to remain, it means to endure, it means to be steadfast. It means to wait. It means to stay. It means to continue. And it goes without saying that if we're not tempted to flee, we've missed some things along the way. There is that temptation from time to time that when things get rough and tough, the temptation is to flee. But to stay because of who the Savior is. To stay because of whose body it belongs to. To stay stay because he reigns supreme. And will always reign supreme. We're here but for a brief period of time. Our days are fleeting. James describes them as a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. But in that vapor, not only do we determine our eternity, but we also have an impact on the eternity of those with whom we have association. We can influence them for good. Or we can influence them for bad. Do not yield to the struggles. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. Gives us that reminder of the staying with it. And the not giving in. The cry may be there. The petition may be to God. Father it be your will. Find another way. But the latter part of the verse also has to be a part of the life. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We like peace. We strive to maintain it. We try to achieve it. But the peace of God is at odds with the world. And we live in the world and it can have its influence on us if we're not careful. And that desire to remain with God, even when it is difficult. But our desire, our prayer ought to be, God, we desire that your will be done. Whatever that be, however that needs to be achieved, we may have one perspective on it. But God in his word may have another perspective on it of how God wants it to be achieved and to do the surrender of self. Many men will follow me. Let him deny himself and take up that cross daily and follow him. We live in a life where offense does come. It may be intentional, it may be unintentional but that it does come. And we struggle with that. Peter did in the Gospel of Matthew, asking that question in Matthew 18. How often should my brother offend me that I should forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus says not up to seven times, but I tell you up to 70 times seven. You shall forgive. That attitude of forgiving when been wronged. Up to 70 times seven. Hard concept for us to work with. The willingness to trust God in this and to believe that His will is being worked out. We ask God every day, do we not? God forgive me. God forgive me of my sins. God, forgive me. Help me to see where I've erred and need to make the change. God, forgive me of my shortcomings, whatever else it may be. Forgive me for wronging a brother. We're asking God to forgive. And we need to have that attitude of willing to forgive those who have trespassed against us. And it's not always easy. Trespasses at their nature, offenses at their nature, Inflict hurt, inflict harm, as do ours against God. But in His grace and in His mercy, His long suffering, He bears with us. He does grant us time and opportunity. Peter would tell those of his day in Second Peter three eight, verse eight and following. The Lord is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. To count the long suffering of our Lord to be salvation. The fact that He's born with us. The fact that this world has not yet ceased to be is an indication of the patience of God in our lives. Granting us time, granting this opportunity to make those changes that need to be made. To be honest with ourselves, to be honest with God. To see what it is we believe and why it is that we believe. To have that conviction that if we do believe that God is there. And to understand that he does not abandon us. Nor should we abandon his people as, way, as well. It's not about flight. It's not about fight. It's about abiding in love. to understand it's an ongoing process to abide in love not the brotherly love but that supreme love that honest desire that for each soul that we come in contact with for each soul that we have an encounter with for each soul that we may be at odds with we are wanting we are desiring we are praying for that best interest of that individual. That best interest is that each heart, each life, and each soul could be right in the eyes of God. That whatever change that needs to be made by whoever it is, that we could be patient with each other to encourage that to be the case. But to understand that God has given us his love, His blood, and His body, and that He cares and protects His body. That sacrificial love, we're we willing to do that. The kind of love that Jesus demonstrated at the cross. Those words. Could not have been easy for Jesus to say. He'd been scourged, he's been beaten, he'd been out of the city, nailed to a cross, hanging there on that cross, to be able to say those words that he did, Father. Forgive them. They know not what they do. That forgiveness would be granted when they turned and obeyed the gospel. But they'll be able to have that attitude to watch the soldiers gambling over his garments. To hear the mocking, to hear the scourging or the ridicule, the jesting. And to be able to maintain that attitude, to be able to make the cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But to have that presence of mind, that in dying, that cruel death because he loved you, he was able to say, Father, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. And that's what each one of us has to do. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You gave it. You sanctified it. You washed it in your blood. You've nourished it. As weak and frail as we are. But it's yours. And I have to trust you in the life that we live. Life is never perfect. Again, the only time on this earth that life was perfect, man still messed it up. The Garden of Eden. What you hear people talking about? Paradise, the Garden of Eden. We want the Garden of Eden. You hear a lot of people talking about wanting to go back to that. By the way they choose to live their life or not to choose to live their life. But we had it. And we missed it. Uh. Coming off the ark after the flood. That perfect world pristine again. And then man again. Chose to go his own way. We live in an imperfect world. and As much as our heart Much as our mind, much as our desires are to be His people without fault, we have fault. Ours is to be able, through His Word, through the prayers of brothers and sisters, and the encouragement of one another, the study of one another, to see what it is that God indeed wants us to do, and to be willing to do it. You all abide. In love. Those are very strong words. And those are what we are challenged to do. He's speaking to us collectively. And he does presume a life together as his children that we will need one another. Sometimes we fail to see that. We need one another. That's why he gave us a body. That's why he gave us members who have different functions within that body, because we need each other. We need the encouragement of each other, the willingness to do his will in our life. And it's Jesus who calls us to this high calling Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. Be my disciples. Be the people that I've called you to be so that we can abide in his love. And all of this does require a prayer on each one of our parts. We need to be petitioning God that his will be done. We need to be petitioning God that we see the need for each member of the body. And that the body hurts when one member hurts. And then to do what we can in the doing, abiding in His will. And in this challenge, Jesus does supply what we need, He does supply it abundantly. He does supply it generously. Is how do we receive what he's giving? How do we respond to the gracious, bountiful love that he's bestowed upon us? Will we indeed be his? Why do you wait, dear sinner? Why do you tarry so long? Your Savior is waiting to give you a place in his sanctified throne. He waits. He encourages. He beseeches through his word, come and be my people. I will bless. I will keep. I will honor. And one day, to those who are faithful to him, To be able to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. As we look at our life, as we look at our life in light of the Word of God, each one gets to examine his own life. Where are we? Where are we? Are we where we need to be as his children? Or is there a need to make a change? So as we sing that invitation song, there's a need for us to draw closer to God to do that. There's a need for us to pray for one another to do that. There's a need for us to desire to encourage one another to do that. It may be done publicly, It may be done privately. But if there's a need that Jesus can meet, believe with your heart that he can meet it. If you need help, we encourage you to come as together we stand and sing.
1: Why do you wait, dear brother? Oh, why do you tarry so long? Your Savior is waiting to give you a place in his sanctified throne. Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? What do you hope, dear brother, to gain by a further delay? There's no to save you but Jesus. There's no other way but His way. Why not? Why not? Why not come to Him now? come to him now. Why do you wait, dear brother? The harvest is passing away. Your Savior is longing to bless you. There's danger and death in delay. Come to him now. Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Please be seated. Raise your hand after each prayer.